Good morning again. Uh, as Steph said, this morning we're back for our second section in our series on the Song of Songs. And as we look at this chapter today, I'm going to be talking about a particular experience that I think almost all of us have had at some point in our lives, even those of us who are quite young. And I first experienced this when I was about six years old. Um, and if you have experienced this, you'll probably know it immediately when I tell you about it in a minute, because it's the kind of thing that you do tend to remember. And it changes our things in our life from then on. So I'm, I'll come back to that in a minute. But first, just a reminder of what we're doing this term, particularly for those who weren't here two weeks ago when we started looking at this book. We're reading through a book called The Song of Songs, which is a collection of love poems which sit right about in the middle of our Bibles in the Old Testament. Sorry, I just need a break. Can someone take this to Pam? This is our script so she can follow along with our slides. There you go. Sorry. Okay, so looking at the Song of Songs. And last time um, we thought about why and how we should read this book as Christians today, as you might have thought about when we just were read it, a bit of it then. And I described my belief that the Song of Songs gives us a picture of a truly passionate, loving relationship as a symbol and description of how we can understand our experience of the love and presence of God in our lives. And so we looked at the opening of the book last time where the young woman describes the love of her man as being more delightful than wine to her and that this can be a picture for us of the fact that we are made and created to be intoxicated with the love of God and that God is completely passionate in his desire to be united with us as we see in the fact, of course, that he became a human being in Jesus Christ. And so I think the Song of Songs, as we read it, it's a call for us to wake up our hearts to the love of God and our calling to seek him and experience his love for ourselves. Now, we had a longer reading today, which gave um, part of an ongoing dialogue in this poem between the woman and the man about their feelings for each other and their plans. And this particular chapter is one of my favourite parts of the book, and it's a great wedding Bible reading for anyone looking for one, by the way. And so the conversation... Um, between these two is mostly about how hard they find it to spend time apart from each other and how they want more than anything else to be together, to leave their ordinary lives and run away and start a new life together. So the woman sits in her room, we read, and she dreams about how she enjoys nothing better than just being with her man. And then he, she hears him. He's coming by the house. And the young man, we see, hangs around outside their house calling out to her, come on, come away with me, it's time, let's go. You know, if you've ever seen Romeo and Juliet, you know, you can imagine the balcony scene. That's exactly what's going on here in your mind. I'm sure her parents weren't really too pleased with these kinds of goings on. They never are. Uh, but the couple don't care. They're just too intoxicated with each other. Now, I want to particularly think today as we read this about what this uh, man says to her as he calls her to come away with him. And what he's offering her when he says these things. Because in one sense, if we look at it, he's actually offering her a lot. He's offering her everything. And in another sense, he's offering her not much at all. And depends on how we see it and the spirit with which we read it. Spiritually, though, it's a, and emotionally, I think he's offering her a lot. It's a full offer, though. Her first, his first message to her, he's saying, look, we're in this new, beautiful time. We're in this springtime of our love. Everything is fresh. It's time to get away and enjoy ourselves. Winter's over. He says, it's not raining anymore. The flowers are out. The birds and people are singing. There's fruit growing everywhere. Why are you going to stay cooped up in your house? Come away with me. It's springtime. 
And he says, I'd encourage you not to be shy with me, he says. Don't hide like a dove in the rocks or uh, in the hiding places of the mountain. He says he wants to see her, he wants to be near her. Their love is like a vineyard that needs attention or the fox will come and steal all the fruit away. Nothing is supposed to spoil this time, it's their springtime. And I think this call that he gives her, as you read it, you might see it's got this sort of freshness and brightness and hope about it, something new, something great happening for this couple. And that's very romantic, of course, but I think if we stripped it of its flowery language and we thought in cold, practical terms about what's going on, it's quite an inappropriate, in one sense, and an unrealistic proposition that this young man is putting to her. In the story of the poems as a whole, we can see that this guy is probably quite a poor shepherd boy. And so this guy, this poor guy, is hanging around outside a girl's house trying to get her to come out with him. And given the way that they're both talking, it's not likely to end up being a PG-rated expedition once she does come out. So it's not, he's asking her for a lot, you'll say. And, you know, you think, and it's not really a realistic proposition, what are they going to do after they go out? You know, you can't live out in the vineyards forever. You have to figure out how you have to plan seriously for your future together if you're going to have one. But boo to that. Yes. Yeah, this is love. This is the real thing. Come away with me. It's going to be great. That's what he says. Don't put your little caveats on me. Um, you know, so we, got to look, we were encouraged to look through the eyes of the lovers in this poem. And from the point of view, it sounds really good, doesn't it? She wants him. He wants her. Spring is here. Let's go. That's what he's saying. So put yourself in that position for a moment, that feeling. What would you do if you were her? Would you go? What if you were him? Would you ask her to go away with you, despite the consequences? So that's what we're being invited to see. So having set that scene, I would like us to think, of course, about what that might mean for us. And, and is there a spiritual or deeper significance to this picture? What does this tell us about our relationship with God? Um, well, I think that this particular scenario in this part of the life of these lovers gives us a picture of what it means or it's like to experience the call of God to our hearts, what it's like to experience the call of God to our hearts. This is the experience that I was talking about at the beginning. And so I want to describe it more clearly because I think it shows us uh, one particular way that God kind of wakes up our heart so that we learn to desire his presence in our lives. And the way that this goes for many people, I think, is that we're going through our daily lives just minding our own business, pretty happy with ourselves or not, depending on how things are going. And then all of a sudden, something happens that gives us a kind of flash in our lives of spiritual awareness. It can be something like looking out at a sunset or gazing at the stars or having a great conversation, meeting a wonderful person or even falling in love or having a child or listening to an amazing song. Or even nothing much particular, really, just being alive. And But all of a sudden we feel like there's something out there in the world that's mysterious, it's powerful, it's beautiful, something behind the things that we can see. As I said, I had this personally for about the first time, I think when I was about six, you know, I think I was at the beach or something, just having a swim. Oh, new thing. All of a sudden the world just changed. There was something I didn't know what it was. I was interested in knowing more. And the feeling, and I think many of you probably know it as I'm trying to describe it, it's a feeling of desire. But it's a different desire to others because it seems to be a desire for something that you've never had before or even really understand what it is. And the strange thing is this fe- the feeling of that desire is more enjoyable or can be than actually experiencing the satisfaction of a lot of the other things that we want. So just feeling it is, is, is a joy. 
Now, that may sound a bit vague. I have an illustration or something that, you know, might date me as an 80s child, but here's how, you know, you might have heard this before. If you've ever heard the song by U2, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, um, you'll know this is what I'm talking about, because that's what Bono is singing about in that song. You know, he says, I've done all these amazing things and wonderful stuff in my life, including having romantic love, but there's something that he's still looking for and he hasn't found. This is, I believe, what he's talking about. And he's going to keep on looking until he finds it. And I think what this kind of experience often leads to is a kind of restlessness and searching in our lives, looking for something. The everyday world that we live in suddenly seems a bit small and it's like there's something over there, over the horizon, that's what I want, I'm going to go and find it. It's not always clear what it is that we're looking for, though, and it's, um, it's best, I suggest, not to try and answer that too quickly, but to go and look. But first, we should, I think we should just zero in on this feeling. I think I understand. I think it is a real spiritual reality. It's a legitimate and very common experience, and I, I think it's shared by almost all the human race at some point in our lives. It's the kind of feeling that the Song of Songs is describing. This young woman, she's very happy in her home. And yet suddenly she finds her lover calling out to her to come away with him. And she realises that beyond the walls of her comfortable bedroom is a delicious springtime world where she'll experience love in a way that she never has before. Now, if you've ever felt that kind of thing, you're like, okay, I know what I'm, I know what I'm talking about. And if, to be honest, if you're in church by your own free will, you probably have felt that at some point in your life. Because I believe, I think this feeling is what happens when God first opens our heart and our mind to the world, to the spiritual world, and awakens a desire in us to know him. And that's the feeling that happens when normal human beings, people like us, flesh and blood, when we get a kind of flash of divine, I shouldn't do that, a flash of divine light passing over our heart and realise there's more to the world than what we can see, and it changes the world, this call. There's an expression in mystical writings called the wound of love. You may have heard this, and it describes the feeling that people have when you experience, sometimes all of a sudden, the pain that comes from realising that you're separated from God and you're not satisfied with what you have and the desire to be unified with him again or to, be, or to come near to him. And this wound, this pain, drives people to seek out the healing of it through love with, of God because it makes us impossible to ever be satisfied with, with the normal life um, after that. It causes a pain but an enjoyous, enjoyable pain. There's a famous saying by the ancient Christian writer Augustine he said, you, he said, you've probably heard this before, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Augustine says, we were made to become restless and dissatisfied with the world of our birth and to seek something deeper or higher. And so at some point in our lives, God gives us a taste of his presence or a call to know him, this wound. For some people, it seems to be a small thing or a number of things that add up, or just hints at the edge of our lives, more like a whisper to come away. For other people, it's like a bomb that goes off in their spirit, like a blinding flash of light. You know, these are the people who all of a sudden just run off to the mountains and become a monk or a nun, you know, that sort of thing. For the rest of us, though, most of us, it's just a call or an invitation that we can, we can listen to to realise there's more to life than this. You know, there's a lover outside our comfortable house calling to us saying, come away with me. It's time to go. 
Now, skeptical minds may have theories about where that feeling or thought comes from. Maybe it's an adaptation to our environment or it's a delusion of some kind that we're uh, fixated by. But I believe that feeling. It's not just psychology. It's not just something in our brain firing off that makes us feel a certain way. I think, it, And it's not something you can manipulate with drugs. It's not something you can work up in yourselves either. It's not something we can make other people feel by doing things to them or saying things to them. And that's why I think that the young woman says seriously to our other friends at the beginning of our reading, the daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken love until it so desires. It's God that awakens this love. It's he, he calls to his people and wakens love in us. Our hearts know when it's God speaking to them. And we should be ready then to listen. And this woman, we know, she's ready to hear what this man has to say. So she leaves and she goes away with him, takes the leap and goes out into the springtime. So what I'm saying is if, if you've ever had the kind of experience that I'm describing of this kind of restless, sort of painful but enjoyable feeling of sadness, it's also joyful, um, and the sense of wanting something you've never known, that I think is a sign of God speaking to your heart. God is calling you. And if that's a bit of a scary thought, if you've had that, it should be, because the call of God, as we will think more later, but as, of course, if you know, if you follow Jesus, it's a dangerous call to listen to, um, because it can take you places you wouldn't go otherwise. For many of us, um, the course of our life can be determined by this call experience in a way it's very hard to quantify if you look back over the years. And it's something worth weighing up. Am I going to say yes to this call? Because it is an impractical and somewhat inappropriate suggestion that God is giving to us to say to leave the normal safe home or the comfort of what is known or approved in your life perhaps and go away with him goodness knows where to do whatever you know that's the call it's much easier to live on the surface to just inhabit stereotypes or scripts that we've been given and not to listen to the call or to change but God often won't let us live that way without a fight, and that's why the wound of love is a wound. And that's how people experienced um, Jesus, by the way. This, the lesson was, if you get near Jesus, your life's probably going to be changed. So I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the light the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And that's it, I guess, for the rest of their lives. No more fishing, no more ordinary lives for these uh, guys in Galilee what they thought they were going to do. They now followed Jesus wherever he went, and they even died for him, most of them, after this call. So can you hear the call, though? They're the same words. So Jesus says, come, follow me, as the young man says, come away with me. The young man says, the winter is over, and Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. It's the same call. It's the same message, the same feeling. So of course they followed him, because they saw the springtime that he was offering them. And this experience explains to me the difficulty sometimes we might have when talking to people about Christianity or when, when I hear people talking about the church or Christianity and what it's about. That's something, something I experience. 
is often people often talk a lot about Christian values and Christian morality and whether those things are good or not and whether it's good to be part of a church and does that bring benefits to you and all the rest of that and that's something interesting to talk about but you know I feel that's not really for me what this whole thing is about Um, you know that's looking at from Christianity from the outside like you're a sociologist what do these people do you know, I didn't, I didn't follow Jesus because I thought his teachings were practical, reasonable, good ways to live. I followed him because God called to my heart, you know. Jesus said, come away, and I thought, there's a springtime out there. I'm going to follow him. That's why I'm here. And that's why Christianity is and can be a very radical um, path. It's not necessarily a conservative place to be. Um, people do crazy things for love, don't they? They leave their homes and their careers and they run away. Um, And Christians have given up money and success and everything else to run into the desert to pursue God or to give themselves over to torture and death rather than deny Jesus. Or they sacrificed everything to go across the world to serve him. That's not what people do for duty or for a good idea. That's what they do for love. That's people who are in love. But again... The picture of a romantic relationship, I think it's a good one for us as we think about this topic, about God calling us, because we know, realists that we are, that for this young couple, running away together would be a great thing for a little while. And then the reality of their thing, of things would probably catch up with them, wouldn't it? A few years down the track, you might find them married, living in a small house down the road from her parents' place, arguing and fighting about who's done their fair share of the chores for that week, Worried about the kids and money and bills that need to be paid and whether whether everything's getting done. They would have to work hard, we know, to recapture the initial sense of passion and adventure that they had at that time. In the same way, there's a sense in which there's a tendency in our spiritual lives, our relationship with God or following Christ, to become a bit more settled and sensible over the years. We sort out how things are going to be, what we're comfortable with, maybe set ourselves up nicely. We know what kind of regular spiritual experiences we like. We know how to get them. It's all good. Perhaps over time, you might even forget why you started this in the first place. And that seems to be a particularly middle-class challenge for Christians, as most people here today, I think. Um, But the reminder of this poem today is that's not how it begins, usually, and Steph alluded to this in her own life. Um, And to say the call of God is an invitation to us that cannot possibly be satisfied within the confines of a normal life. Love is more radical than that. We're made to be restless and to find our, our rest only in God. And God's call doesn't change as you get older and more sensible. It just remains the same. And it's not just for special people, it's for everyone. God is calling everyone's heart to open up and to wake up to him. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, this is a church who thinks they have it all, they think they know it all, thank you very much. But he says, you know nothing and you have nothing. Here I am, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So the sad thing is that for many of us, this spiritual experience I've been describing, the call of God, that moment even that we have might be the only, one of the few true experiences of God that we have because we say no to it. Come away with me. No thanks. And it's understandable that we would do that. It's more sensible not to. But of course then we miss out. What happens when you go? And that's certainly not the end of spiritual experience and we're going to be thinking about more about that in the weeks to come. What happens when you do leave? The call of God is only the beginning. It's that kind of waking up from the dream. It's only the start of spiritual desire. 
It's uh, the promise of satisfaction that the Song of Songs gives comes, what happens when you actually go, you get up and you follow the lover out into the springtime and see what's going to happen. So today, though, I just wanted you to reflect, have you ever heard the call of God? Come away with me, or some version of that, or whatever it feels like for you. If so, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What have you done? Will you go away with him? What would that cost? What would it change? It could change everything, but it could be worth it. And that's what the songs promises us. I'm going to pray as we reflect on that today, and we're going to sing together. Lord, you've, we know that you have made us with restless hearts, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. I pray that you would instill within all of us this restlessness of love, the desire to know you more. I pray that we would have the courage to say yes and to follow you wherever you lead. I pray that we would be filled then with the springtime of your kingdom. I pray a blessing for those who are he- hesitant to say yes for whatever reason, we, that your love would, be gen- would gently call to them today. Please bless us with this spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.